Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Because I knew I didn't have the USC pedigree, the Northwestern, the Missouri, the Syracuse, I couldn't afford to mess up. I couldn't afford to slip up. And it was razor thin. I didn't have an extensive network of people that I could call up and say, hey, remember when we were frat brothers? And we could no, no, no. It, it, I didn't have that the uh, Middell Mafia like they do at Northwest, Northwestern. I didn't have the Syracuse people talking about Chuck, all that other stuff. You know, I didn't have that, and I couldn't afford it. So all I could do was shut up, show up, and work. And that's all you can do every single day. This is the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's Mike Yale. End of message. Well, the podcast world is, I don't know if it's like the broadcast world, which is seems really big, but in reality, it's really small. But since I'm new to this whole podcast thing and we're like, what, 20, 21 episodes down, I'm still trying to get the hang of it. But what I do know is there's a handful of podcasts that I will consistently listen to. I know I've mentioned Yogi Roth and, and his podcast, Life Without Limits, uh, Adam Stan. It was one of our producers at the Pac-12 Network who is a huge hoops junkie. He's got the uh, the Great Point podcast. But there's another one, and I've mentioned it on the show numerous times. I've been actually a guest on it, the Living the Dream podcast. Beto Duran is the guest today here on Give Me a Sense. Beto, appreciate you stopping by, man. It, it, this is like long overdue. I've been trying to... To, to to schedule out a lot of these shows. And I was like, I got to get a guy that's got some radio experience on the show. And you obviously, you have that. Uh, that's where you and I sort of kind of met, which is kind of a long story as well. Not to mention, <laughs> uh, you're doing some play-by-play stuff for Oscar De La Hoya and the Golden Boy boxing shows. And I didn't realize this. You just educated me. I feel like I'm usually dialed in on the industry, but Lakers TV has now become Spectrum Sports Network. And you obviously are working with those guys as well. Yeah, it used to be Time Warner Cable, and then there was a merger, and I found out the other day when my Instagram said Spectrum Sports Net, and I'm like, well, who's this? I don't follow this account. I was like, oh, it's the Lakers account. So like, <laughs> I guess the merger went through. <laughs> but yeah, yeah man, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm glad I get to be a guest. Uh, I, I think I'm the only non-ESPN announcer that you haven't worked with that is a guest, so it's pretty good. Yeah, I was yeah, listening not, to not Kevin that. Connors this morning. I want my Bose headphones. <laughs> I've gotten I've been walking through the office and I've had a few people here at the Pac-12 network saying, uh, so the Bose headphones, there's another pair that's coming down the road for uh, for a lucky listener. We'll figure out that contest. But look, I, I want to there's so many things I want to ask you because I think your story is really unique. But the Ooh. Living the Dream podcast, I think is I think it's one of the one of the best podcasts that's available right now. And in a lot of ways, I think it's kind of similar to what I do. But I think the cool aspect of what you do on your show is you interview every guest in person and you bring them beer, which I think is awesome. So <laughs> I'm sorry that I don't have a craft beer for you. You were kind enough to give me one when I was a guest on, on your show. I'll just take you out for drinks next time that the next the, time I see you. But but how do you, is, yeah, the yeah. part about that is I have 12 beers in my back seat right now. Because I stopped by and restocked up. Uh, Craft Beer Kings is my beer sponsor. And uh, it, it all started through this crazy world, man, where I went in there one day and I knew these guys, uh, a guy named Mo and his brother Mike Shalom, and they're big Laker fans. And it all started when I worked in ESPN Radio. They sent me horchata beer. Now, horchata is like a, Spanish, a Mexican like a drink. It's like basically rice water, right, but it, with a bunch of sugar and cinnamon or I don't, yeah, something like that. And they made a beer. They sent it to me to the studio. And then one day I stopped in there and the guy's like, look, man, we love your podcast. We're starting off. He's like, I can't give you money, but I can give you beer. And I'm like, well, damn, these craft beers are like 10 bucks. I'll take that instead of money. And now every guest gets a beer. And actually, you're the one who it, it loved it because we actually had three or four different beers. So it was even better. So, and actually, this is now leading to something else. I have a beer cast coming up where – when next time you come down to L.A., if you ever do leave your palatial San Francisco estate, um, <laughs> we, we're starting this up where we get uh, it's beer sampling. But not like the traditional like beer snobs where like, oh, this has too many hops or yeast or whatever. All that stuff, I, which I have no clue about. 
it's Mo brings uh, three beers. I'm like, what is this? He explains it like a normal person, and then we bring in another guest, and we just talk about whatever for like 30 minutes, and we're drinking beer. So it's like, like basically we're recording a bar conversation. I was just going to say, it's like hanging out at a bar, and you just have microphones in front of you, essentially, is what it comes uh, down to. Yeah, so next time you're in L.A., you are going to be a member of the beer cast. I, I love it. I, I kind of want one of the ones that you gave me last time. It was a little fruity, but I, I actually really enjoyed it. It was uh, it was a very tasty beer. You know, Beto, I think one of the, the other things about your podcast, I think there's so many young, and this is what I try to do, at least with some of the episodes, and you made reference to Kevin Connors, who was on the last one, and I get broadcasters to come on because, as you know, being in the industry, there's so many people who will ask you for career advice or how do you break into the business, and I think the advice that I've started to give people is the reps on air are crucial. And I think people nowadays have so much more opportunity than than we had to try to do this on a regular basis. And I, I've been telling people like, start a podcast. Like who cares if anyone listens to it? You just, you get the ball rolling. You get comfortable in front of the microphone. You get to interview people. And, and that's a really good way to get sort of fake your way into reps. Now for you, you came at it from a professional standpoint. You were working on radio for a long period of time. And that's how we actually went and met. But what was the premise? Like how, how did you even come up with the idea to, to start a podcast and have these conversations with people? Um, I got let go by ESPN. Simple as that. Um, like two years ago, you know, I was, so my thing is I worked for ESPN Radio for almost 14 years on air for about eight of them. And um, two years ago, they eliminated, I was the update anchor, reporter, utility guy. And they came at me and said, uh, hey, we are eliminating SportsCenter updates from our uh, afternoon shows. I'm like, cool. Hey, we're eliminating your position. I'm like, all right. Like, you know, it is what it is. Good run. Um, and there was no animosity there. They just said, you and two other people are going to be let go. Like, we don't need to send people to every single game. We don't need sound bites because now in this day and age where uh, a person who is a writer is also on TV, who's also doing radio. And that's just the, the technology and the way. And I kind of saw the writing on the wall a year before that, because I was thinking, like, man, there's some of the stuff that I'm doing, nobody's even paying attention to it. So it's like, is it even worth it? Um, so one of the things that I did was, well, the fact that I got a severance kind of helped. I was able to do other stuff. And, but, like, you and I talked about when like, you're on my podcast, it's, you can't ever get pigeonholed and you can't only just do one thing. And I always wanted to do a podcast at ESPN um, I, because I felt my interviews with players were so good because they were long form compared to the eight second soundbite. But when you work at ESPN and this makes complete sense, they're like, we will tell you how do you do your podcast. We will tell you how we are going to distribute it. We will do this. So the conversations never really got past that with my program director at the time, um, which makes complete sense. ESPN is a huge market. They want to control it. That's probably been the Bill Simmons critique, that they do things their own way, which they should. They're a billion-dollar corporation. So I put that on the back burner. Once I got let go, I found that I had more free time. I was still doing the boxing. I was still doing the Lakers basketball TV. But for so many years, I was at every single Angel game, every single Dodger game, every single Laker practice. So you really can't add on another thing. And I went actually on a friend of mine who was a comedian named Felipe Esparza. He was starting off his podcast. He's like, hey, come be a guest. I'm like, I don't. I'm not a good guest. Like, you're a comedian. I'm not funny like that. I, he's like, let's just talk about your life. I'm like, all right. Went on there, and at the end, he just throws it in. When are you going to start your own podcast? I'm like, why? He's like, because you know a lot of cool people. You know stories. Those people want to do what you do. I'm like, I, they do? Like, you and I have this conversation where I get so, you get so caught up in the moment that you forget that people want to do what you do. You yeah. know that they want to do it comp- competition-wise, but not that there's younger kids or in college who want to do it. And so I asked him and his wife, like, so advice how to do it. What equipment do I buy? And one thing that I wanted to do was do it in person because you lose some of that intimacy. Yeah. Um, and because I had more free time, I'm like, hey, let's go. And the reason I started doing it in person is I didn't have a studio to go do it from, which if I would have had it, I'd probably be doing more of them. Uh, so, yeah, long story short, I started doing that. And I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew that I didn't want to do sports talk. Hey, here's my hot opinion. Here's my take. Yours isn't, which 
everybody was going. Because if you look at Sports Talk Radio, their podcast is basically shorter versions of their show, which I wasn't a podcast guy beforehand, and I didn't want to listen to a re-air of first take. Or, you know, I didn't want to feel all that stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Let me talk to my friends, the first couple. And it, I was like, well, what do I do? What do I do? And I always, I went back to my roots as a reporter. I got more information and I always got told that you're good at telling me stuff that I can't find out on the internet. And everybody will tell you, you know, Chris Berman makes millions. But I still want to know, how the F did Chris Berman get his start at a Brown? Or how did you guys get there? Or when I'm talking to a baseball player, when you were broke eating Top Ramen, how did you do that? And that's kind of what we do on my podcast. It's, yeah, you might have a Bentley, but tell me when you had a Geo Metro, Kevin Connors. Like, let me know about that stuff. And, and so now I've talked to athletes. I've talked to broadcasters. Everybody's like, well, you do a lot of broadcasters. Like, well, those are my friends. Like, that's yep. who I talk to. I don't have producers. It's, it's literally one-man band. Uh, I got some politicians lined up now. I got different people in a different squatch. I got actors. And now I'm in episode 50-something into it, and I'm still, as you said, uh, trying to figure out the podcast world because there are no rules. We can do whatever the F we want, unlike our radio roots where give me 30 seconds, hit a hard out, do this, do that, tease. Like, nah, I don't even listen to sports talk radio anymore, like, because I don't want to wait through commercials. All I do is listen to podcasts now. And yours, fantastic, by the way, because you're doing it right. You're having fun with it. Well, I, I appreciate that. And you you make reference to your podcast. Once again, it's called the Living the Dream Podcast, which I think is a perfect title for, for what you're describing on your show. But I want to circle back because I do want to hear more about your story because I think it's actually pretty fascinating because you're the first radio guy that's got radio roots that's on this podcast. And I think that's a, a really huge added dimension to, to the show. And you, you said something that really resonates with me. You said, hey, if I was at ESPN when I pitched this idea, they were going to control it. It was going to be done their way. And I totally understand. You know, it's something we didn't get a chance to talk to uh, Kevin Connors about, who's still at ESPN. But I always say this. When I got to Pac-12 Network, I've never had one person tell me what to say or how to say it. They legitimately gave me the keys to the car, which is awesome. And I get to drive it wherever I want to go. And I think for you, you, you talk about that freedom. How different... How almost liberating is it to go 14 years doing ESPN radio, their system, their style, doing it the way they want to do it, to now being able to say, you know what, I'm going to put my feet up, and I'm going to have a craft beer while I go and hang out with and, and hear their <laughs> um, story. It's crazy. See, I love working at ESPN. It was the only job I ever had. I cut my teeth there. Like, I was given a small little craft of opportunities. In the early 2000s, the housing market was great, so they decided to expand to a part-time role, and I jumped at it, and I went through it. But I knew that... Um, I was an average sports talk radio host. I've never been one that's been opinionated. I've always rather give you the roots and the nuts and the information. So as a sports talk host, I was okay, but I was the backup guy. As a reporter, I was money. I was giving you good stuff. Um, and one of the things that ESPN, I was never told what I could or couldn't say, but you kind of get the impression of you know what you shouldn't say. Yeah. Because if you're a superstar, you can do whatever you whatever want. Whatever you want. Different rules for uh, different players. When you're, <laughs> when you're vanilla and you're off the guy off the bench, hmm, hmm, got to be careful about that. Um, you know, in radio, there's so many, it's called the program director, it's basically your boss, and there's you get a new one every year, and it's up to him to decide if he likes you or if he doesn't, and they're always going to give you ideas of how you should sound, how you should do this. Uh, I told you this when I'm on, and you're on my podcast, uh, the, hey, you should uh, Latino it up a little bit. Play to your Mexican roots. You're in L.A. It'll help you. I'm like, I don't even know what the heck that means, but okay. <laughs> you always just say, okay, okay, and then you go and do what you got to do. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I was given to was by Shelly Smith at Ken Field, who was an ESPN producer for a long time, Emmy Award winner, mentors of mine. But if you're going to go out and do it, make sure it's your voice and your way. And when you go home and you can look at yourself, you at least know that the person that was on air is exactly who you are off the air. And I always try to remember that. And um, could I have been a little bit more successful as a sports talk radio host if I would have been like the crazy opinionated guy saying stuff that he doesn't believe? Yeah. Probably be a millionaire, like as we see some of the guys on TV right now doing it. But are you really who you are? No, I'd rather be me. 
I want to rewind here because you mentioned, you know, that start as at ESPN. How do you how do you land a job in radio at, at an ESPN <laughs> affiliate? Um, throwing out T-shirts, handing out bumper stickers. I kid you not. Um, I had no idea what I want to do in college until my third year of junior college when I basically I, – I, here's my deal. So, short story, I always loved sports. I always wanted to work in sports. I had no idea that you could actually be a reporter because there weren't any examples of Latinos there who could do it because everybody growing up watching TV was a white guy, right? White guy in a hot pond. That's what is on the news on, in L.A. And you've seen the L.A. weather people, right? Boom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to see any Latinos, you have to go put it on Telemundo, which I didn't speak Spanish like them. My mom and dad do. My mom and dad from Mexico, son of immigrants. There's seven kids. Every single stereotype you could think of possibly there. Um, but I knew I wanted to work in sports. I'm like, hey, maybe I'll be a team doctor. Chemistry sucks, you know? Maybe I want to be a lawyer, be an agent. I talk a lot. Nah. And then I took a journalism class, and the professor's like, you're a good writer. I was like, I am? He's like, yeah, you wrote a good lead. I'm like, what's the lead? You know, I had no idea about what anything is. And the only reason I took that journalism class is because I, I had to stay on my dad's insurance. And from there, she's like, yeah, you go find yourself an internship. What the F is an internship? Like, just... This is like early 2000s. All my friends are like getting ready to graduate college. I still have no idea what I want to do. I took that journalism class. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I, I never missed that class. Lori Medigovich at El Camino Junior College. She wrote for the Associated Press for a lot of years, Emmy Award winner, and then she had retired as a teacher. She's like, you, you have something about you. And I'm like, well, I was a paper boy when I was a little kid. Maybe through osmosis I learned how to read it because I would read the Daily Breeze, which is a local newspaper, the afternoon edition, after I got out of school, read the sports page, and then go and deliver the newspaper. And that was my thing in, uh, in elementary school. And um, fast forward, my first ever internship was in 2000, Democratic National Convention for CNN, because I was 21, and I knew the city of L.A. using a Thomas guy, so I was able to tell the reporters for New York One how to get to the Hollywood sign, how to get a Grandma's Chinese, how to get to Santa Monica, and they... They love the hustle. They told me, and that's when I was like, wow, this is great. Um, I, by that time, I wanted to be a writer. I'm like, this is like the rush of a news and working for New York One. And even though I wasn't in, into politics that much, it was great. We followed Hillary Clinton around for a week because she was running for a state senate. And it was amazing. Uh, like, just that rush of like what it looks like in a broadcast band. And I'm like, this is awesome. Got in, uh, Then I was like, okay, internship's done. I was ready to transfer to. Uh, Cal State Dominguez Hills, because it was down the street from where I grew up in Carson, which is now the StubHub Center where they do the CrossFit games, the Galaxy play. Back then, it used to be a farm. And the only reason I went to that school is because I'm now 22, and I want to hurry up and graduate college, and I get uh, the Cal Grant, which is going to pay for all school, even though school had no journalism program, really. Uh, or I could go to SC and get a $40,000 loan. What do you think the Mexican parents are saying? <laughs> Free. Let's take, go. take on as much debt, right? Go to SC. <laughs> Yeah, right. You, you know immigrant parents don't sign for anything, let alone a loan. No. <laughs> so I went there for one semester, and then I got a job with ESPN Radio. At that time, it was just starting off at this dude working the promotions crew, where go and set up the the pop-up tent as the, you know, the radio hosts are going to come by, give people a T-shirt, give them a, a bumper sticker, give them out whatever it is. And now the guy who hired me, Tommy Lamb, at this day told me the only reason I got hired is because I had triple eight insurance under my dad, and I was I was able to, old enough to drive around their Ford Expedition, you know, those radio vans that drive around everywhere. Yeah. Because I had triple eight, they really they thought I was really res, uh, responsible, so they hired me for that. Um, I meet one of the producers now, David Vasse, who actually travels with the Dodgers for their flagship. I was like, dude, I want to do what you do. He's only a couple years older than me. He's like, come in tomorrow, help us uh, make copies. For six months, I would go in there make copies, get food, and hang around the radio station uh, in the studio. So if I had to go and work an event, say I had a report at 6 o'clock at to the radio station to, like, pick up the van, I'd show up at 12 and hang out with Vasse, like, yo, what do you need? He's like, oh, just go get a lunch. Go do this. Go do that. And I would see what a producer would, would do. And sure enough, there, like, instead of going to school, I was going to the radio station because I had the, the access card. Like, I got to go behind the gate. Like, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I would just hang out, do whatever you need to do. The radio station was in infancy. They didn't have anybody. 
That's all. Answer the phone. All right, cool. So everybody thought I was working on the radio side, on the like the production side, when I was really just a promotions dude. So I'd go in there, and then I'd go and drive the van to like wherever I had to do. And I would do that. And sure enough, Christmas Eve, what happens? The guy who's supposed to answer the phone doesn't do it. Um, the guy doesn't answer the phones on New Year's Eve. He doesn't show up. Hey, Bethel, you want to just do this for us? Heck yeah. So fast forward, everybody always thought I was working. I would start doing that. Started uh, a producer leaves. I became an associate producer just hanging out. And then every back to the we have a new radio boss every year. Every time we'd get a new program director, he'd ask people, what do you do? And by that time, I learned how to edit. I asked the board, I was like, hey, how do you do this? We had the Angels and the Kings game. And I would edit the highlights for their games. And by this time, I was getting paid for it. I, like, I even stopped going to school because I would just be – if I had to work 20 hours at the radio station, I was there at least 50. Working on Friday nights, answering the phones for a boxing show, um, learning how to edit, reel to reel. Remember the reel? How to cut oh, yeah. tape? Oh, yeah, I learned how to do that. So instant replay. Learning how to do everything at the radio station because I was better than school. And everybody, so like, every time we got a new boss, I do this. I do this. I, I lied to one boss because one year the Angels sent a credential for me, Mike, like a full season credential. I was the weekend board off. So, like, answering the phone calls for Angels, like, post game show. Hey, thanks for calling Angels Talk. Boom. And they sent a full season credential. Jose Mota, who I had a go, who would do shows for us every now and then, Spanish radio for them. I was like, Jose, I got a credential. Can I come help? He's like, yeah, come keep stats for us. I can't pay you. I was like, I don't care. So I'd go down there for a season, keep stats for him uh, for the, the like Monday and Tuesdays, and I said I was off on the radio station. Keep stats, like first pitch strike, how many pitches were fouled off. And because I was around, if the game starts at five, seven, you know what I'm doing. I'm showing up at three. So everybody thought I was somebody important. I was fucking fooling them. I'm sorry for cussing, but I was fooling them. And um, then, sure enough, hey, can you go down to Mike Social's post game? Just put the microphone there. Heck yeah, I can. Angel games, there's nobody covering them except for two papers. So I put the microphone down, so I'm going to start asking questions. Get a new radio boss. What do you do? I'm the weekend Angels reporter, I told this dude. Okay, keep on doing what you're doing. So during the week, I, was, I became a board op. Monday through Friday, I would be the board off of the Angel game. Saturday and Sundays, I go down to keep that for Jose. And then after the game, I go down and get interviews for the postgame show. And I wasn't getting paid. And then the boss decided I was doing something. The economy gets better. And they're like, hey, uh, we're going to hire a, an assistant reporter. You can only work 20 hours a week, and you have to join the union. Jumped on it. I went from having four different jobs because I, I was also working at – Traffic radio, uh, like, you know, when people are like, hey, traffic on the 20s, blah, blah, blah. I was the guy typing up what they were saying uh, Monday morning from midnight to 5 a.m. Then I go at the radio station. Then I was still, like, umpiring men's rec league softball to get cash. I'm in my mid-20s now. Um, friends who are really into the real estate boom, like, dude, come make money with us on the mortgage side. I'm making 100 this. I'm doing that. Family members tell me, what the F are you doing, Beth? They're like, why don't you get a real job? This isn't going to happen. People who I know are like, nobody can say your name. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be on air. I'm going to be on air. And, you know, I just never listened to anybody. Paying one credit card so I can, the minimum so I could use it to get gas to go to work. By that time, I was doing um, high school football games for free on Friday nights to work on play-by-play or sidelines. Anything, anything and everywhere to just get my voice there and get the reps. I was doing it, and it was awesome, and it was amazing, and I was broke as can be. The good thing is that I was living at home. Um, I had a little change in my pocket, and I never left, and the economy got better. 2007, uh, part-time reporter. 2008, full-time reporter. And I went from making um, like 28000 one year, and then I do my taxes for the first time, and I only had one uh, W-2, and it was amazing. Like My tax person was like, wait, what happened here? I'm like, wow, look. She's like, wow, you're making $72,000. What did you do? I'm like, they made me full time. I have benefits. I can go to the dentist. And it was crazy. And it was awesome. And then after that, just kept on hustling, man. The grind is, dude, that's awesome. I, 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 was, I was supposed to be short, huh? <laughs> no, it, it's. No, and I think it's it's awesome to hear those things because I think every single person 
we've had on this podcast that is not an athlete, that's a broadcaster, has to show. I think that's like the one sort of the one thing that that is equal throughout all these interviews and all these conversations that I have with people, just the work ethic it takes and the sacrifices. And and your story is is amazing. And I think there's one thing that really resonates with me because you said I would show up if my shift started, what, at six o'clock, I'd be there at noon. And I would just hang around. And I don't think people understand. You know, it's easy for us to say, oh, the the new generation, they don't get what they have to do. I was, you know, walking through the snow, although you're in Southern California, so you didn't have to worry about that. But you get the point. It's sitting in L.A. traffic. Exactly. It's it's like walking through the snow. But to me, that's so great because I think back to, you know, those first jobs that I had. And people would say, well, what time do you have to be there? And I would always be so early. Because you don't even realize just how much is is relationships, right? Like meeting the right person or talking to the right person, being around, always saying yes. I know Kevin Connors made reference to the Tony Reale episode where why yes is the most important word. You didn't say at any point going through that timeline the word no. It's no matter what job it is. You You can't. can't. I'll I'll pass out T-shirts. I have... Uh, I can drive. I can. Uh, I'll make coffee. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll hang around. I won't get paid. That not everyone's willing to do those things, and I think that's what separates you know the people who who make it far in the business, get into the business, are able to break in and and continue to last. That's out there. You essentially, in some ways, and I mean this in the most positive way, you basically lied to get your job, and that's awesome, right? I'm not, I mean, I'm not basically. I did, <laughs> but um, <laughs> like I always tell people, like. If I wouldn't have been, you can work hard, but if you don't have the talent in this business, you're going to get exposed. So, yeah, they opened up the door a little bit, and I was there. But if I was if I was going to games and just being and trying to act like I knew everything or on the whim or acting like I, you know believing your own hype, you get exposed. I would have been out the door as quickly as possible. Once you get in, you better produce, and that's every single day. And even now. Uh, 15 years later, I still need to produce every single time because we can't make a mistake because there are so many people that will take your job that are more talented and they'll do it cheaper. Also with me is I, I took a huge risk on myself. I stopped going to school because it was, do I go sit in class and listen to something or do I go in the radio station when they're telling me to go do it? And I didn't finish college. I mean, I know I always say uh, Bob Costas did it, but Bob Costas was, was serious. He was, he was at Newhouse, and he had already had a job that was big time. But I didn't finish because I was already, I bet on myself. Um, I'm working on it. I want to get my degree for myself. But that was another thing is because I knew I didn't have the USC pedigree, the Northwestern, the Missouri, the Syracuse, I couldn't afford to mess up. I couldn't afford to slip up. And it was razor thin. I didn't have an extensive network of people that I could call up and say, hey, remember when we were frat brothers and we could – no, no, no. I didn't have that that, uh, Middale Mafia like they do at Northwestern. I didn't have the Syracuse people talking about Chuck, all that other stuff. You know, I didn't have that, and I couldn't afford it. So all I could do was shut up, show up, and work, and that's all you can do every single day. So if I show up at – if I show up and I'm not prepared, gone. If I show up, believe the hype, gone. So who am I to think that I'm better than anybody else? You can't. Are there more people talented than me? Without a doubt. There are kids right now doing their own high school TV productions that are more talented than I am right now. But they ain't going to outwork me, and I'm not going to let them. And I'm not going to rest on any laurels. You can't do that. Couldn't agree with that message anymore. I I do want to ask you, too, about some of your experiences at practices with pro athletes and and in the clubhouse, whether it's baseball or basketball, and, and obviously even some of the boxing stuff that you're doing now. But you said something to me, and you made reference to it on your podcast as well, where you're told, Latino it up, I think is that is that an exact quote? <laughs> yeah, Latino it up, and or Mexican it up, too. That's a good one. Too. Mexican. Okay, so look, I mean, that phrase aside here, I, I'm curious what your thought is on diversity in in broadcasting why do you think it's important or do you not think it's important at all um yeah it's important um in our business because i just mentioned it 20 years ago i'm in high school looking up at tv and i'm like there's nobody that looks like this and not that you need that person there for you you don't ever want somebody to be token but if you're on tv you could you're a role model no matter what 
and you can have somebody who's like an impact, like, oh, you know what? I remember seeing him. There's a reason that every single Mexican kid in Southern California to this day wants to be Fernando Valenzuela because you can identify with him. Um, there, uh, it, it's a cultural thing. Like, I was born here, you know, like Magic Johnson to me is still freaking Magic Johnson, and I still get a little nervous around him, even though he tweets crazy. But it's still magic. I, every single kid in L.A. wanted to wear 32 and flash that smile. But with Fernando, you deal a little bit different because you know that he's eating the tortillas. You know he has the beans. You know he, what's up, right? There's, it, it, it helps identify with somebody because if you see somebody with similar background as you, you're like, if they're doing it, why can't I do it? Um, and as far as, like, the, our industry, does it need to be diverse? Yeah. Male, female, different diversity, different ethnicities should, should be represented. But at the end of the day, as I tell everybody, should be, but it's not, it doesn't have to be because at the end of the day, you want the most talented people doing the job. And if you are average and you happen to be Latino, you don't deserve that job. Yep. You should be the best one doing that job to be on ESPN Sports Center. You be, better be the baddest mofo out there because you are in the biggest stage and you better produce. Like, you could get away with being average in a mid-market, but don't come crying to me that ESPN isn't diverse. Well, and I'll say this. When I get asked for people to recommend, like, you know, the, the talent office, you know everybody in the ESPN talent office, they're like, hey, who do you know that an up-and-coming broadcaster who happens to be Latino that you can recommend? I don't know anybody. Because I'm not going to go and recommend somebody who's average. Yep. And I think there's a, a new generation that's coming up, guys younger than me, that I'm trying to help out the same way that other people have helped me out. But it takes a while for that to happen. It takes a while for people to realize, oh, you know what? There's a generation of, of uh, Latino kids who don't speak Spanish, who prefer the NFL over soccer. Like, and the diversity also helps out because it helps you give it a different voice and it makes you understand different things. And that really is where it's important. Um, when you go and you're there, I've always wanted to be known as the best person for the job, not the Latino for the job. I never wanted to be token about anything. And I get some backlash from my own culture where they're like, you should be doing more for us. And I'm like, dude, bro, I'm trying to eat right now. Like, I'm not going to go and play up like, oh, I'm so Mexican. Or I get people like, you say that name like a white guy. I'm like, no, I say that name like an American. Like, that's how you say the damn name. Like, I be, like when I see somebody who, I'm just going to speak being Mexican, who Spanishes up the last name, I'm like, dude, would you really say that last name the way you would if you were at the bar? No. So don't do it on TV. Like, you're not going to say, hi, David Ortiz. Right? Like, no, it's David Ortiz. And I know there's some people listening who are probably like, no, that's how they say it in this country. Like, but, you know, that's how everybody says it. Um, like my name. People have trouble saying it. It's Bethel Duran, right? That's how you say it. But I know that people can't say Bethel, so they say Bethel. I don't care. I've heard it my entire life. People are like, you should make them say your right name. I'm like, if I don't care, why do you? Like, like that's another thing. It's, people get so defensive about certain things, and it's like, let's look at the big picture. Like, let's look at the big picture of what's going on here. Let's try to get more, more diversity. Like, do and I have this conversation. How many Asians were at the sports center? One. That's still there. Who? None. Now? Well, look, yeah, I mean, yeah. it depends on, uh, look, I, it really depends on, on how you classify, like, which area of Asia, right? So there's, so, like. Exactly. See, see, I just said Asian. If I'm on yeah. The, like, how many Mexicans are on sports center? I can't think of any. Yeah. I know there's Latinos. You have Mexicanos, but he's Cuban. Like, if you really want to go like that. But the lack of a diversity isn't for ESPN not trying. It's because the talent isn't there yet. But it's coming. I know it is. I see it. Yeah. 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 It's and I think that's one of the cool things. Well, look, you, you do, you make reference to, and I think this is why I have so much respect for what you do, not just because of the grind, but I know you give back a lot too where you'll go to high schools and you'll go and talk to those kids and you'll show them because this is something that I said to you. We've had this conversation before. You just need to see someone in that role to understand that it's possible. Because I, I say this before, like Michael Kim, who was at, at, at ESPN for years, I mean, in, in the mid nineties, I didn't even realize like how much of an impact that was having just seeing him necessarily on TV, but it like 
it plants a seed that you know it's oh, yeah. possible. And, and, you know, I mean, that was one of the cool things. And hopefully I'll be able to get Kimmer on the podcast and uh, over the next few weeks or so to talk about that. But it's so it's so important to see someone in that role, because like you said, I mean, there wasn't when you were growing up in, in Los Angeles. Right. I mean, there's not it's you said it's a bunch of white males that are on TV and you're not seeing Hispanic, you know, unless you're watching Telemundo, which is yeah, obviously it's not gotten better. It's, it's really gotten better. L.A. market is really diverse now and it's gotten better. Um, but for the premier jobs, not really. Um, yeah. But like, okay, I, I remember the day Robert Flores was on SportsCenter, and I'm like, yo, there's a Mexican on there. Then I meet Ruffalo, and he's from Texas, and I'm like, ah. Like, that's just the biggest idea because he's Tex-Mexican, right? He's from Houston. I'm like, yeah, that don't count. But no, but that, just right there, that opens up eyes just for people. It, it, it shows you that, you know what, somebody's doing it that's like you. And I hate that we're getting into racing because it's like not really what you and I hang our hat on. But it's important. And when I was at ESN, I never really would say it. Not because I was told not to, just because I didn't think about it. And then once you get a little bit removed, you're like, damn. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it, it really is the lack of diversity. And, it's, and that's just our business in general, because who's hiring? You don't see any diversity up on top. That's a good point. It's a good point. By the way, I did do some NASCAR shows at the end of my, my tenure at ESPN. Oh, I, my first game <laughs> I ever covered was a... Kings hockey game. You think I was going to say no to that? No. No. You weren't saying no to anything, though. No, you can't. You can't. You can't. But yeah, as far as like speaking back to schools, I go to uh, Southern California and I have a speaker bureau and I go to different high schools in, I don't want to say inner cities, I really like that, but just more where the, the culture and the school demographics reflect of the way I grew up. And I go to the schools where they don't have a journalism program anymore because of lack of funds. And I reach out to them and I'm like, look, you can do what I'm doing. I'm a perfect example of I'm doing it. And stop making excuses of like this. Of like, I have every stereotype against me. Mom and dad speak no English. Seven kids. La, la, la. Like, if we're doing it, let's go. And it's more, it's more just about if you can dream it, do it. Somebody has to be president. Why not you? Somebody has to go to a big-time university. Why not you? And that's usually my message. I take myself and another professional and give the kids my number. Like, hey, let it hear. You may not listen right now, but in a year from now, let's go for it. And it's just more of reaching out to him because my brother's an administrator for LA Unified School District and he's the one that told me you know you should start doing this and I'm like I don't it it just sounds like I'm bragging like he's like no just these kids need to hear from you and same thing with you Mike like you go back to your high school I know that's a big thing for you because these kids you used to beat them right yeah yeah they're like why not do it for sure for sure and and look I mean how many people helped you out Right. I mean, you, you asked me. Uh, no, not about... many. Really? Um, yeah. Like. There's not a like I I had more people not help me than did help me. And I'll tell you the people that helped me a lot. Shelly Smith. Amazing. I answered the phone for her on a Christmas Eve radio show that nobody was calling in. And then she's like, hey, do you want to work the Rose Bowl with me? I'm like, Ugh. what? Like what? Like, yeah. Um, as, a, as a runner. Um, Ken Field, producer for ESPN. First time I was ever on ESPN News from San Antonio, and you guys had called me and said, hey, do you, do you want to come on ESPN News? I had to do a hit outside. It was 108 degrees. I had to go buy a tie at Nordstrom uh, at the San Antonio Mall and do this hit. It was 108 because one of the talents didn't want to go outside because it was 108 degrees in San Antonio during the Lakers playoff. Ken Field's like, hey, thanks for not complaining. I'm like, why would I complain? You know, Mike Hill, who I was on, he was him a lot would send me text, Robert Flores, give me information on it. How do I improve? But as far as, like, people helping me, I had more people telling me I shouldn't do it in this business when I was first starting off than people telling me, yeah, you could do it. So the people who did help me, I clung on to them and texted them every day, called them every almost all the time. What more do I need to learn? What more do I need to do this? And as Shelly told me, don't take him personal when somebody doesn't want to help you. Just find somebody who will because somebody will help you it's just you have to do the work and if somebody doesn't want to help you don't hold a grudge but you know maybe you caught them on a bad day maybe they were just being a jerk whatever it was maybe because you weren't a girl they don't want to help you whatever it is but don't hold that against it find more of the positive stuff because somebody will be there for you and from that person you have to learn as much as possible i i'm i'm gonna be honest with you man i'm shocked that you didn't have more positive reactions to 
from people that, that wanted to help you out. Like, I feel like in this business, for me at least, and, and this is maybe where our, our stories and our paths separate a little bit, I had more people willing to help than not willing to help. And, and I guess maybe I just gravitated yeah. towards those people. Maybe that's why I have it in my head. No, and the thing is, I, I'm not going to lie. I was learning on the job. Like, I didn't, remember, I didn't go to a big fancy school. I didn't have that alumni yeah. network to help me out. I didn't have a lot of internships where I could have learned stuff. Uh, because I was already working at the radio station. Everybody at the radio station was offering me. Joe McDonald, the late Joe McDonald, was a great radio host, uh, helped me out tremendously. Doug Recording, who was a scribe at Longside Columns in Southern California, told me everybody that I've worked with at the radio station, amazing, and a great support staff around them. And the athletes that would come in, help me out. Jose Moda, always telling me, you could do this, always do that. Like I said, Shelly Smith, Adrian Garcia Marquez is the Lakers Spanish TV voice now, always helping me out. So John Ireland, immensely helped me out uh, in my career. See, everybody at the radio station, awesome. But when I reach out to other people, and I think because I was a little bit older, by that time I was 24, 25, 26, they kind of viewed me as a threat, maybe? As competition, maybe? Like, I never took it that way. But I'm like, I'd always tell them, I want to do what you do. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, All right, cool, TV person. Like, you know, like, you won Emmys. What are you worried about, man? Like, you got billboards. What are you sweating me for? Like... Wow. Wow. Yeah. It, it, Mara, Mara, it, did you run into that? Some, some people kind of brushing you off? I've gotten the, I've gotten the stiff arm before, especially coming up in my career. But I, I think I was just really, I mean, you asked me this question about mentors when I popped on your show. I, I can't even tell you how many people helped me out. I mean, whether it was producers, executive producers, talent, I, across the board, there were so many people that were always willing to take a phone call, always willing to, to take a look at a tape or a reel, uh, give me some yeah. feedback, be willing to, to be interviewed for one of my classes for a paper. I mean, I always felt like I didn't get a lot of no's, but I think that's also partly because maybe I was just asking the right people. Like there were some yeah. people that I interned with and I just knew not to ask them. So uh -huh. they were just a little bit colder. So maybe I, that's why I didn't get a lot of no's because I, I didn't you, necessarily you, you ask everyone. I think about the people who, who helped me along the way. The people who helped me along the way that, that I still consider mentors to this day are the people who were the most successful. And I'm not that I'm like racking in my head for the people who I would ask for help. We're usually the people who weren't as successful as they wanted to be. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm actually now thinking about some of the people that have helped me, and at least on the on-air side, yeah, there's some there's some people that are have been really good that are actually very very successful. Um, yeah, like you know, if I some told you the, the people who didn't help me, you'd be like, I, I never heard of them. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking in my head like Fran Charles, who now is at MLB Network. He was always yeah. great to me when I was an intern. Uh, Ian Eagle, uh, play by play wow. voice, one of the I'm mean, just unbelievable. Uh, Spiro Ditas, who was a Fordham guy like me, who's who's now working, you know, obviously calling NFL games and uh, March Madness games, who you probably know pretty well from his days yeah. calling the Lakers. I mean, he was he was only a few years older than me, but always just spectacular. Tony Reale, who was a few years older than me, another guy. I mean, yeah, you're right. Mike Breen, another another guy. Um, yeah, just it's, it's, uh, it's, I, like I said, it's, it, it, as Shelly told me, she's like, who cares? Find somebody who helps you. Like, yeah. there's going to be doors there. There are going to be doors that aren't there. And it, and in this business, you're going to hear more no than anything. Like Kevin Connor said, he sent out 300 videotapes and people telling him no. Like you, you have to get used to rejection in this broadcast business. Cause it all, but all it takes one person to say yes, one yes. and you feel like a million bucks. Yeah, one yes. That's the first one. Is always I always say the uh, the toughest one to get. You made reference to telling people like, hey, I want to do what you do, and I know there are people that are saying, hey, I want to do what you do. So. What are some of those highlights, right? I mean, I, I'm a basketball guy. You're a basketball guy. You're obviously working, you know, for uh, for Sec Spectrum Sports Network, obviously uh, with the Lakers. So you've been around some of the some of the all time greats. I Me, mean, Kobe Bryant, one of those guys. What what are what are some of those conversations like? Because I think the thing that makes you good at what you do is your ability to connect with people and disarm them, where they're willing to talk to you. And I I know that you've had great relationships with players. So what are some of those standout moments? Um, this goes back to see, being a little Mexican kid. <laughs> this goes back to the, the way I was brought up. When there's adults around, you shut up and you don't talk unless you're spoken to. So, like, when little kid, we go to the birthday parties, little backyard weddings, whatever, and they were like, you didn't talk to the adults until they talked to you. So, 
my mom always said, you have to be a good listener. And I think in this business, we are get we get so caught up sometimes in hearing ourselves talk that we don't ever listen. Like I hate watching interviews where the reporter has three questions ready to go and they're reading it off. And I'm like, wait a minute, you left, you didn't listen to the first answer, which you should have piggybacked off of that to do something because we get so caught up in. I'm like, I want to ask like three good questions. It's like he just gave you an answer like that could lead to a different avenue. You know, the John Sawatsky series. That's Sawatsky yes. for you. There you go. Um, <laughs> but what, what, that goes back to being a little kid. Listen. So when you go and I tell these young kids is when you talk to somebody, introduce yourself. Don't come right away with the microphone, and right away you're putting somebody defensive. Um, when you don't always have to interview somebody, and this goes back to the baseball days, but they motivated me that he's like, talk to these guys. He goes, you speak Spanish, say hello to them. Say, how are you doing in Spanish? That little bit right there, they're going to remember that. All right, well I'm done with my soapbox. I'm done no, with my man, soapbox. I... I'm on a rant right now. You got me going, my jam. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm just winding you up. I'm poking the bear. I love man. it. How, how well, about, I'm never a uh, guest you know... on anybody. I'm never a guest. I don't like being a guest on people's podcasts because I don't like talking about myself. Like, no, that's all... You, yeah, I'm good. No, I, I love it. I love it. Keep it coming. You know, you, you were talking about those relationships with players. Can you give me an example of a time where you got a scoop maybe that no one else was getting because because of your relationship with that guy? Uh, <laughs> um, All right. Maybe it's maybe no, no, one no, that no, you no, can... I, I got a couple. I got a couple. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming that a lot of these things have already come out, which is why I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. See, the thing is with me, okay, back to the baseball. And being one of the few Latino reporters in the clubhouse helps you. And once, like, you know, I would talk to them in Spanish. Once these dudes realized that I wasn't a reporter in Spanish and they could actually trust me, they would tell me so many things. And they knew that, I, and I would tell them, like, dude, I work in English. I was like, whatever interviews you and I do on the record, it can't be used, bro, in Spanish. Like, I'm not playing uh, a Yafio Pui Spanish interview on ESPN Radio in L.A. in English. Like, it could go, but you're, you're not going to, you're just not doing that stuff. Uh, so these guys, I got to know them. And what, I'm not going to give you a specific example because you'll know who I'm talking about. But over the years in baseball, I developed a great relationship with the Latino players where they would give me information about their Caucasian teammates. Or, and sure enough, I would usually, uh, because I, I, I've never been a breaking news reporter, because on radio, you know, it's harder with radio to do stuff unless it's like really, really ju good juicy stuff. So I would toss that to like one of the writers that I was a friend with. And I'm like, yo, this might be something that you want to check into. And that usually would be, um, like, uh, this was always during the trade deadline. Guys would kind of tell me, like, hey, homeboy over here uh, just moved out of his uh, his house. He knows he's getting flipped. His agent told him he's on the market. And you're like, no, that guy, he's a big deal. Sure enough, you know, I, I, you know, with radio, I can't go and say, oh, so-and-so is on the trading block because it's like, well, what's the hearsay? And, you know, you can't do that with 30-second sound bites, you know? Yeah. That, that was, like, the hard line. So I would flip it to somebody who was a writer and then, you know, in exchange for information later on. Um, there was a time where, like, I'd flip it to an ESPN writer and then my name would be attached at the bottom. Bethel Durant contributed to this. Or if I knew something was going on, I'd call the information desk or the edit, edit desk at, in Bristol. And I'm like, hey, this might be something you guys want to keep on. And then they would toss it to, you know, one of their bigger guys. And, you know, that's how you work. The beauty of the ESPN, there's so many different uh, arms and you can reach out and they, that's where you make yourself valuable. Like if I would go on the air and say like, uh, blah, 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 is on the trading box, he moved out of his house, it's my word against his word. You know? Yeah. Where if you're yeah. writing it, you can go and you can ask three different sources, blah, blah, blah. So that, it was every single trading deadline, like people in both the Angels and Dodgers front office would come up to me and be like, yo, how'd you know this? Yo, how'd you know this? And I'm like, I'm, I'm just, you know, the good what I'm doing. But because I was always the guy in the clubhouse who wasn't interviewing everybody every single day. So, like, the Latino players would just trust me. And it was usually, this goes back to it, because I would play both sides of the fence. 
And I'm like, hey, man, what are you hearing about so-and-so over here? You know, stuff like that. And the best part is whenever, you know, there's some baseball clubhouses, the guys don't get along. Everybody's like, oh, chemistry is so important. B.S., chemistry is important. These guys are worried about their job. And it was always about a guy who was either going to be on the trading block because that was going to open up the spot for a younger player or a guy who wasn't liked. And the Latino players will always tell you about a player that isn't liked. He might be loved by the, uh, by the traditional media, but nope, <laughs> they will rat him out to me. And that would go on every single trading deadline. And uh, Basketball's a little bit harder because everybody speaks English, but that was one of the good things that I got. And I would get a kick out of it too. So I'm like, hmm. I already know you moved out. Or, uh, or like the Latino guy, especially the Dominicans, would come up and tell me, like, hey, pay attention to this name right here. And I'm like, no, 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 he's pitching tomorrow. No, he's not. He's at my apartment right now. He already got called up. And I was like, oh, okay. So I would give that scoop, like, hey, hearing so-and-so is being called up. Like, how do you know that? And I'm like, because he's at freaking so-and-so's apartment in downtown. Like, <laughs> little things like that. Wow. So, What's your Spanish? best? Yeah, in baseball. Baseball, I could see that, especially with the demographic of players that are in there. But you spent some time, and you're obviously still spending time around the Lakers. What's your best Kobe story? Uh, the best one, the night that, like, I defended Kobe, the professional. Kobe, the, the basketball player at times, man, you know, that's, that's just everything. Like, dude, pass the ball sometimes, bro. Come on. Then um, there were some teams where you don't want Kobe to pass, and I'll kill your boy, Smith Parker, you know, Fordham. Like, <laughs> like that year, like I didn't blame Kobe for never passing anybody. He had Smith Parker, Chris Mim, and a bunch of other guys that you never heard of. So like, hey, you know what? Do what you gotta do, bro. I don't blame you for that one. Um, but and I'll tell people we're like, oh, Kobe's a jerk. He's just I'm like, you know what? He is the ultimate professional when it comes to meeting with fans, meeting with the media. The best Kobe story I got is the ninety tears is Achilles. You know, um. How much pain are you in? You're going to the hospital, and we're in the locker room, and we are getting information that he, he's really hurt. Then all of a sudden it comes down, torn Achilles, stuff of the year. Like, oh, damn. So we're all in the locker room waiting for players to come out, and we see Kobe come out. And he has crutches, and he's in his uniform, and his locker's by the shower. And I'm standing by it just because I'm just standing there. And I make way like he's going to the shower. And he stands at his locker, and I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm talking to him. He's like, well, let's do this. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, let's do this. Get out of the way. You guys need to talk. I'm like, whoa. So I gained more respect, and all the media runs over to him at the locker, answered every freaking question that night. Torn Achilles, I don't think he's on crutches, still in his uniform, and you'll see it on PTI. They always do, like, the anniversary uh, the night Kobe Bryant towards Achilles, and I'm right there in the corner, standing next to him. And I'm, I'm <laughs> that's what I was working for Time Warner Deportes. I'm, lo- I'm yelling at the camera dude, like, "Hey, yo, come over! Here. I got a shot. I'm like, come here!" <laughs> like, so you see me looking all frantic, and Kobe just stands there all cool. So I'm trying to get my camera guy, and we, he stands there, answers every question, tears in his eyes, um, very emotional. And I'm like, "There's dudes who don't talk to you after they make the last out of a game, or they yeah. have a." Oh, for five game in the middle of July or guys who I've known told me in the past, Oh, you only want to talk to me because I did good today. And this dude, torn Achilles should be at the hospital to say they're answering every question in Spanish, Japanese, and Italian. And like, that's when I gained even more respect for him. And I can't remember a night where Kobe didn't talk to you. Win or lose or draw. He was always there. And it it might've been like, yeah, it, it, it might have been like nights where he was pissed off and he only gave you three words, but you still got a bite out of it. Like, you, you're like, that right there is like, oh, Kobe only talked for 24 seconds, but that shows that he was really pissed off tonight because he only talked for 24 seconds. Like, like, there was so much professionalism you learned from him. I mean, there was other times at practice where, you know, you wouldn't see him for a couple weeks. But as my time on the beat, anytime you needed something after a game, he was there. Um, you know, he knew when to talk, and uh, that's the more professionalism you see from him. And it's like what? he tried to rub it off on certain guys, but you know, there's certain players in that his own locker room were like, "Nah, I ain't talking. I'll wait till the TV cameras come." Like, well, TV cameras ain't coming for you, scrub guy. <laughs> what kind of teammate was he? 
um, you hear the stories that those who love them, love them. Those who hate them, hate them. And I'd rather be the dude where you know where you stand with somebody instead of like the, he's nice with everybody, but behind your back, he's not. Um, like that's what some, some of the Laker players were telling me. Like, you know, he'd be the guy who, who would make sure that you have what you need if he was down with you. But the, the guys who were he was down with were the guys who in practice were working their butts off. If you're showing up to practice, you know, right at 10 o'clock when it starts and you're not doing the extra work, then he ain't on your side. And he's going to ride you and he's going to piss you off and he's going to grill you and he's going to roast you to the media and all this other stuff. Pal Gasol, who he would ride all the time, swears by him. And Pal's the nicest man in the world. Um, and you would see the conversations they would have. And Pal, the conversations I would have with him in Spanish about Kobe, it's like flowing and it was blowing. And it's, yeah, I can see him being a complete jerk to teammates, of course. But the people, I take it back more of the people who complained about him were usually the people who deserved it. And the people who complimented him were usually the people who were accomplished. And, I mean, you hear legendary stories of in practice going after people, and you find out who the names are, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's about right. Um, (laughs) And early on in my career, being around him, you know, he would test me. He would give me one-word answers. And then I realized, like, I can't go up there asking sorry questions. Like, you're going to come? You better come correct. Like, you're going to ask questions. You're going to waste your time. Make sure it's worthwhile. Like, Derek Jeter, right? Being around Jeter, he was always going to give you the vanilla answer. Oh, the fans are great. The team is great. Blah, blah, blah. Like, when was he ever going to say anything controversial? Never. Like, right? Everybody's like, oh, great teammate. I'm pretty sure there's guys that Jeter did not like. Take away A-Rod. But, I mean, pretty sure there's guys that he didn't like. But, like, the times I would cover Jeter when he'd come to the, uh, play the Angels, everything was always wrapped up with a nice bow. And I'm like, is he really like that? Like, you don't really know anything about the dude. I'm always curious about him. You were around him some, weren't you? Yeah, I was around him a decent amount. And he's he was really vanilla. I actually couldn't stand asking him questions after games. Right? To be perfectly honest. Because there was never anything of substance. And I, I don't mean that in a... Well, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that no, in no, a no, no. trying to do my job. Like, can you give me a real answer? Like, I don't need the, you know, I don't need the answer that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I can use and I actually, be, a month ago. The same. Yeah, it just, it, and it's not changed. And look, it's worked for him. I actually yeah. didn't like, you know, I'm a Mets fan. And I, some people might say, well, that's part of the reason. But it no. was so different covering the Yankees versus covering the Mets. Like if you were in the Yankee clubhouse, it was it, it was all business. You know, there weren't oh, yeah. kids necessarily running around. Like if you were in at that time it was Shea Stadium, it wasn't City Field, but if you were at Shea covering a game, it was you know, the music was blaring and it was a family atmosphere. You'd see, you know, guys, kids running around the clubhouse. It just was a different if it was a different vibe. And at that point, which vibe was working? You know, obviously the Yankees were were rolling. They were winning World Series at the time. And what was working for them, you know, wasn't for necessarily for everyone. But you could just see the dynamics and how different it was. But to your point, Jeter was was awful to talk to. I mean, Piazza was was great. If you want to talk about superstars in New York City at the time, he was he yeah. was the guy that would always talk to you, always give you an answer, always really respectful uh, to the media. He was he was great. And I'm not saying Jeter wasn't respectful, but no, he no, just no, he was he, he was down there. But you, like, I would always, and I get it, like being around Jeter and he would come play the angels with my was with him. So the Japanese media, it was just, so oh, yeah. it, and I get it. Why the Yankees, the Yankees are like the Lakers. There's so many people around them. So, but it was refreshing with Kobe because he would cuss during a, a soundbite or he, and especially the last few years, he would open it up. And it's like, I'd rather have somebody tell me what's going on instead of like paint everything, you know, Hey, yeah, all right, cool. Uh, turn the page tomorrow. will be on a rise. Like, dude, this sucks. Like, yeah. why are we even yeah. here? Like, why are we even here? Like, cliche central. Like, but you get it. You have to, like, be around those guys. And it's just, but yeah, back to your point. Like, the thing I've learned over the years is superstars are usually the nicest, and those that think they're superstars are the worst. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> like, like, like my, my son, he's 11. He's a big sports fan. And, you know, he likes certain players. And now that he's older, I'll tell him, like, no, I am not buying that guy's T-shirt with the number on it. I, I, have, I am not doing it. That's my money now, bro. If you want to do it on your own, yeah. 
And then like, or like, especially with baseball players, they're like, oh my God, he's so amazing. He's so hot. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, you, not always what you get. And that's the, no, uh, no. that's, that's just yeah, the truth of, of how it is. And it's, that's every business, I think. And, and it goes business. even Especially with, in Hollywood, with man. You're, you're a Hollywood yeah. guy. You know this. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I, I, people look at me and they think Hollywood right off the bat. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you're on TV, look, man. I mean, you're in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little different here in uh, in San Francisco. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Beto's podcast, by the way, the Living the Dream podcast. It is great conversations with uh, a lot of notable people that you're you're familiar with, and some guys that you just they're just great conversations. The business side of of uh, of the business, or the business side of the business. Does that make sense? Business side of broadcasting, in a lot of yeah. sense. Uh, I think you, you, you sort of cover it all. It's a great list. You can catch it on iTunes uh, as well. And, and I'm sure you'd appreciate the uh, hitting that subscribe button as you're, you're taking a listen to uh, uh, Beto's podcast. But, Matt, it this is, is – This is how out of loop I am when, when, when you're talking about the beginning of the, the podcast about podcast is different. I didn't know that you if you subscribe or if you get, like, reviews that your numbers go up. Like, oh yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that until you started talking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah. well, why would – Cause see, I'm over here like people leave reviews. I'm like, that's cool. Appreciate you leaving a review, but I'm like, well, what's the point? Now it's no. like, now I get why these people are saying, oh, go subscribe review because people just want their numbers through. Like, come on, man. Like, I went in, after you made the top 100. I went and looked at some of these, and I'm like, why are people even listening to these guys? Yeah. Like, I don't really know what it is. And then something that somebody told me was, um, it's your podcast. Do whatever you want, how you yeah. want. If people listen, cool. If they don't, cool. But I treated it now more as a conversation for me to get to know that person that I'm talking with. Yeah, and yeah. it's fun. It, it, it really is fun. And it's helped me as an interviewer get better. And as a, as a person who uh, get better as a recorder and interviewer, and it's just building a flow, and it's just fun to do, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, to your point, and it just has changed the approach, I think, in a lot of ways for some of those early podcasts that I did. I think I came into this interview with you. I think I had three three bullet points, and it was topics. And the rest of the time, I'm just like, I just want to hear what you had to say. That's it. And, <laughs> and that's you, you just go. And that's that's the best part about, uh, obviously, what you do and what, I, what I'm trying to do with at least this podcast. But, man, it is so great to uh, to sit down with you. And, and uh, I know you got some shopping to do down in the outlets uh, <laughs> that, are, that are coming up. And you got to fight, right? Is that what you're yeah, down Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I do. It's crazy. Like, what are, dude, how crazy is our business now? Like, it's completely different. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing play-by-play play for Oscar Goli and Baltimore Promotions. We have two fights a month, and it's on – we used to be on Fox Sports 1. Contract with them right now. So Oscar's like, you know what? I'm going to create my own company. It's called ringtv.com, and we air every fight that we have. It's all his young kids that are up and coming, 8-0, 9-0, and, and I'm, at, oh my, I'm in Indio, California right now. So it's ringtv.com. Wow. I get my play-by-play play cuts there. Uh, I go to Vegas for the bigger fights. It's cool. It's just, it's just fun to do. I've always been a boxing fan, and – like it's not like you can go to the minor leagues of boxing to do announcing. Like there aren't many people doing it, it's, so it's cool to do. And I'm out here. And so if you want to check out, um, here my Snapchat is Bethel Vision. I'm doing self promoting. My Instagram is Bethel Vision. Uh, my Twitter is Duran Sports. And when are you gonna get on Snapchat, my my gam? You know I'm actually on Snapchat. I don't. This is embarrassing. I don't know how to use it. I don't get it. I never use Dude, it. I just Mike, I don't stop understand. Sounding old, man. This for the young people. No, I got a birthday coming up, man, and I'm trying to uh, trying to hold on to the youth, but it's just not not happening. Oh no, me. don't worry. About it. Hey, no, which Mike, you got to get on the Snapchat. You you work at a college network. I know, I know. You know who tells me oh, that all the time? Yogi Roth, who I know you've had on your podcast. Yeah, he's well, big, he's big with it. I just can't. I, you know, okay. I'm. I don't know. Here, here's how you do it: Twitter news, Instagram, cool, funny pictures. Snapchat, stupid. The stupider, the better. Like all, all the all the pictures that you would send to your friends, that's what you put it on Snapchat. Yeah, and, I try to I try to keep it to just my friends those pictures. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, I was talking about the work stupid pictures. Like, oh, like Snapchat okay. is well. I'm like, hey, get in makeup, boom, and it, it, it trips me out, man. It really does trip me out because when I go and talk to a high school group, all of them Snapchat, three fourths on Instagram. No, I know. Quarter maybe on Twitter. You gotta be one step ahead, Mike. And that's what this business is about. 
I know. I'm trying. I mean, I still have the MySpace account that's active, so I've been oof. trying to to transition away from that. <laughs> I believe that term is called oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember Friendster? I don't know how people even know what yeah, that is. So I remember yeah. Friendster because it went away when I really found out what it was. I'm like, oh, that's gone. Okay. Yeah, that's that's. That's when you know I you're old. A, if you don't know what VHS is and you don't know what Friendster is, you're, you're, you're young. And we'll just leave it at that. And you're probably, you probably think I'm stupid for not understanding Snapchat. If you don't know what Friendster is yeah. and VHS tapes, they're like, dude, you don't even know how to work Snapchat. God, I got old. I got old fast. Snapchat, I need to Snapchat is cool because you just get you to little geotags. That's all you want to do. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm on it. I'll, I'll take a closer look. You got a guy? All right, I'll take your guy. I'll take guy. your beer I guy. No, uh, okay, you know how I actually got my sponsorships? Did you not? What do you got? Snapchat. All right, all right. You know, you you just sold me. You you just sold me on it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I get some lessons from Yogi Roth, and we'll we'll go from there. But once again, Beto's. Uh, I know. No, the Living the Dream podcast, you can check it out on iTunes. I'm going to say it for you. Rate, subscribe, and review that podcast because it does. There's some like weird metric with iTunes. And, um, you know, just it's nice. I want people to listen to what you're doing because it's fantastic. And I, I think that's important to appreciate uh, for you, people. man. And you know, that's like, you know, we didn't even get to the, to the part that we met on TV because you were the host and I was a guest. Man, that was. ESPN News. You know, and we didn't actually meet in person until this past that's July. Month? Yeah, yeah. When you came out Pac-12 Media Day. Yeah, for Pac-12 Media Day, uh, which is crazy because I felt like we knew each other just from social media, and then all the times you came on our shows when I was at ESPN. It's just weird how how it's you know it's like not being surprised when people pretend like they know you because they watch your shows. Yeah. Same same sort of thing that we had going. <laughs> it's, uh, which at is the sort end of the day, crazy. if you guys take anything away from what I'm saying, if you're still listening at this point, yeah, fast forward. Just yeah, nice. exactly. <laughs> just 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 be a nice guy. Don't believe your own hype. And good things happen to good people. It might, it will definitely take longer, as in the case with Mike Yan and Kevin Connors. But those two are pros, pros who are succeeding. And the people who were passing them up early on that were complete jerks, you don't even know where they're at right now. Yeah, exactly. Just MIA, missing in action. And I'll, at this I'll point. text you after to give you some names. I love that, I'll, and I'll put those in the show notes as well. <laughs> Hell yeah! I'll tell you, man. I'll, I'll tell you, Andre Ethier. Oh, oh, hello. All right, man. Well, look, I know you got you got to get ready for you got to get ready for a fight that's coming up in a little bit. I can't thank you enough for for spending some time and telling your story and sharing, you know, really, truly what is an epic grind to get to where you are. Mike, you know what I'm doing? I'm pulling up to the Fantasy Springs Casino and I have one backpack and 12 craft beers. <laughs> oh, God. Start. Start. Have a cold one for me, man. One of them. Oh, we'll do. Excellent. Yeah, man. Thank you again. Thanks. Well, when it comes to grinds, I don't know how many more guests I can have that's, that have more of an epic push than Beto. So once again, appreciate him sharing his story here on the Give Me a Sense podcast. Always appreciate you downloading and listening. And of course, we will continue to pump out some more, some guests on tap over the, the next couple of weeks here, just to throw out some names. But Bobby Hurley, the head coach uh, on the basketball side at ASU, who obviously spent some time at Duke and is one of the all-time great college basketball players to ever play, he's going to be on the show. We'll also talk to Kate Scott, one of my colleagues here at the Pac-12 Network, who is as unique a broadcaster as you will find, not only radio experience, but also play-by-play experience. So I want to get her take on on what her journey has been like. So once again, thank you as always for listening and downloading and tell your friend if you're enjoying the show. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.